UX Podcast Episode 93. Which one of us is saying the start? <laughs> uh, we'll just pick one. I'll, I'll pick one. Oh, okay, you do it then. Go for it. Surprise me. Hello. Welcome to UX Podcast. Thank you for joining us. I'm Pat Axbloom. And I'm James Roy Lawson. And we're balancing business, technology, and users. Every other Friday from Stockholm, Sweden. Today, we have an interview with Kim Goodwin, who will be a familiar name to a lot of people. Uh, I first heard of her when she was working at Cooper, which worked for, uh, well, quite a lot of years, I think, 10 years, something, something like that. I think the first time I probably, well, the, the first time I consciously were, was aware I was listening and, and, and taking in Kim's wisdom was um, in Lisbon, UXLX 2012. Ah, okay. Uh, yeah, no, uh, Cooper was big for me because I, I was reading the, the books by Alan Cooper with uh, inmates are running the asylum and, and phase oh. three and learning about personas. And so yeah. Co- Cooper was a big deal for me, almost like Adaptive Path. Yeah, I don't read books. <laughs> but this was before you were calling yourself a UXer. <laughs> oh, you're right. Yeah. yeah, yeah, no. I still didn't read books. <laughs> okay. I read blog posts. So, yeah. you know. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so, so Adaptive mm. Path, yeah, of course, I was mm. reading all the blogs, mm. but just didn't bother reading the books. Mm. Well, well, <laughs> we're not sitting in the same room, which is tough sometimes. It's hard. I mean, we can't, we're not having video right now as well, so I can't see whether you're grimacing at me or not. <laughs> Well, I'm, well, just 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 so the readers know, I'm not wearing a hoodie. <laughs> the readers, the listeners. What the readers? I see you talk about books. Yeah, so you're talking about blog posts and stuff. Uh, yeah. No, okay, mm. listeners. Um, I'm not wearing a hoodie. Yeah. And Per, I guess you are. I am. Of course, I am. Mm. I'm. I'm actually wearing my Radio Able hoodie. Oh, that one. Yeah. Mm. And if people know what Radio Able is, then you're as geeky as I am. Think zombies. <laughs> what are we talking? We should probably get on with it. We should get on with the interview. We, we, let's, we, there was yep. something you wanted to mention before, wasn't there? It was the, oh, yeah, listener uh, survey, I think. Exactly. Yep. Um, it's that time of year where um, we'd really like to have your feedback and to, to learn a bit. You know, because we do research. We need, to, we need to get in touch with our, 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 our users, I suppose, you know, the people out there that are consuming this podcast. Um, so our research every year is to do a survey. And um, you can find that at uxpodcast.com slash survey. Um, it's also linked from the menu, so you should be able to find that, no problem. Mm-hmm. Please fill it in um, and let us know what you think about us. You can be you can be mean. It's okay. It's okay to be mean, and we we actually did some small changes based on the listener survey last year. We did tiny changes. We even <laughs> we even recorded some shows based on ideas. That'd that's true. Bad. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. Let's call Kim. Let's call her. Hi there. Hello, Kim. Hello, Kim. Nice to have you on. Oh, my pleasure. An early morning for you and late evening for us. Well, not it's not late evening, late though. Afternoon. Yes, yeah. it's it's <laughs> almost time for food. But you're it's always time for food. But, uh. Uh, uh, what is it? It's it's between fika and dinner. Is that the? Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, we're we're sliding fast towards dinner. <laughs> but you're based in Oakland, aren't you? Yes. Right. 
Is that where you are now? Right. Yes. In yeah. sunny green California. Yeah. Fantastic to have you on the show. And uh, we've been reading up. <laughs> I mean, you are a thought leader uh, of sorts. You've been, you've been doing this for a long time. You've been playing the game of UX for a long time. More, longer than it's been called a UX, I would guess, even. Uh, research and design for 20 years. And, and your LinkedIn page has very leading teams of varying sizes for 18 years and teaching design and leadership skills for 15. And I'm even guessing that you haven't updated your LinkedIn page for a while. Uh, yeah, I haven't for a while, actually. <laughs> exactly. So that's even more years. <laughs> yeah, but, but you don't need to remind me how old I am, really. It's, it's okay. Pad, <laughs> be the gentleman, you see. Uh, Avoid age. <laughs> but but I, I always love to find, find the recommendations and read one of those. Uh, and there was one from uh, Nate Fortin, I guess, oh. at Motorola. Uh, and he writes... It has been said before, but I'll repeat it here. Kim is without a doubt one of the brightest minds in the field of user experience. She has an unparalleled capacity to tame complexity, an incredible eye for detail, and an inspiring ability to communicate extremely difficult concepts to the most challenging audiences. Uh, I think that sums it up really, really well. That's a really good recommendation. That's the kind of recommendation yeah. that on some people's profiles, mm -hmm. you'd presume they'd bought it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that's, uh, that's very kind of Nate to say so. And you've written a book, Designing for the Digital Age. Uh, and we actually saw you at Business to Buttons. No, sorry, at UXLX. When was that, James? Uh, like, 2012, we yeah. were there. Um, when so you did three the. Three years ago. Yeah, that was the presentation, um, which mm. I think was journey mapping as an insight mm. tool with the, the healthcare example. Yeah, in Lisbon. Yeah, that's right, in exactly. Lisbon. And now you're coming to Stockholm, Sweden. That's right, and I was there last year as well. So yes, you were, and weren't you? You, you, I think you even were at Business to Buttons when it was in Malmo many years ago. That's right. This will be my yeah. third one this year. Exactly. Oh, you're you're making a tradition. <laughs> <laughs> you must like Sweden then. Yes, yes, it's lovely. So, what will your talk be about uh, in April? Uh, well, my talk at Business Buttons is going to be focused on journey mapping, actually. Uh, Johan asked me to focus on something that would be useful for service design, and I found that that's a terrific tool for service design as well as product design. So how would you define uh, journey mapping? Well, journey mapping is really looking at how people do things today, what are all the touch points they encounter, uh, looking at what is it they're trying to accomplish? What are the tools they're using? What are they doing? What are the questions they have? You know, what's the information they need? And how do they feel about that whole process as, as you go? And I think the emotional component of a journey map is actually one of the, the critical parts because that's what helps you identify the areas that most need work. And they're a great, they're a great tool for getting a broad cross-disciplinary team really understanding what it means to design a user experience because it's it's not about pixels it's about interactions it's about encounters with a brand or an organization or the individuals who work there and i think anybody can understand that and engage with that and contribute meaningfully to that i think it's, it's a really good point about the emotional component because that's in my opinion a lot of time where the biggest gap is between um, the team or the business that's developing something and the reality they, they, they're detached from the actual emotion and what's going on with the user at the other side. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, if you take air travel, for example, you know, some of the, uh, the indignities visited upon us by the airlines, well, uh, clearly whoever thought up some of those things is not putting themselves in the shoes of someone who has just been on a 17-hour plane flight with a small screaming child in a 17-inch wide seat 
and you know that they just yeah. not in the right frame of mind when they think about how it feels to be uh, to be asked to do certain things. Hmm. And usually, the output from a journey mapping workshop is usually very graphic, and you put it up on the wall, and people get really engaged and go up to it and point to it as well. I guess. Yeah. Uh, I've seen some some of the pictures in, in some of the slideshows uh, that I've looked through as well. Uh, it, it's they're, they're loads of fun to look at, but sometimes uh, it's difficult to get people uh, to understand how to apply that mm-hmm. once they get into the design and development process. And I know you have a lot of input there as well. How to get teams engaged in the outputs of that you do, even personas and stuff like that. Sometimes yep. you produce stuff, but people don't know how to apply it. Yeah, exactly. And um, actually, the workshop that I'll be doing, uh, I believe it's right before Business of Buttons, is really focused on transitioning from that kind of artifact and, and turning it into real design. But I think the key is that a journey map helps you identify, here's a problem we can fix, here's an opportunity. Um, and I think when people start with those very concrete points, you know, it's not that hard for a team to say, how could we fix this one thing? I think it's much harder for a team to say in the abstract, how do we design a whole new journey, a whole new experience? Mm. Because they, they have that blank page problem. Uh, but if you say, how, how could you do better at this one thing, this one point in the journey, uh, then I think people have a lot easier time grabbing onto that and coming up with ideas. Right. Do you find that um, by putting more focus on how do we fix this one thing, does that fit in better to the, the agile way um, and sprint-based way of working that almost everyone seems to be doing these days? Well, I think it can. I mean, I, I think that design methodologies can coexist with an agile approach in a lot of different ways, and I, I think they're very adaptable. Um, the great thing about journey mapping is I find that teams working in an agile way often lose the forest for the trees, as the saying goes, right? They, they get so yeah. focused on what's going on in this sprint and maybe the next sprint that they sort of lose how all the pieces are supposed to connect because mm, user stories yes. tend to get carved up very, very small. Mm. Whereas a journey map and a broader scenario that, that's designed to, um, to re-envision that whole journey helps people understand the context. Oh, this fits here. And and right before they were doing this, this person was actually doing this other thing. And how can I make that transition between those steps more seamless? Yeah. Uh, because I think that, that those transitions in service design in particular are often the most painful points. And I mean, the work that you do, because now you're the VP of user experience at patients like me, I mean, the health caregiver process and the health processes that you work with, I guess, I mean, that's, it's perfect for journey mapping. It's how people approach uh, any kind of care, I guess, uh, in that sense, and how they relate to other people. Tell us a bit about patients like me and how that works. Sure. Uh, Patients like me started a number of years ago when uh, a guy named Stephen Haywood had ALS, also known as Lou Gehrig's disease. It's a a dreadful neurodegenerative disorder uh, it tends to kill people within a number of uh, a fair, fairly small number of years. There really is no cure. There's no effective treatment for it. Um, and his brothers and a friend of theirs uh, started to um, essentially conduct experiments trying to help Stephen. And that led to the ALS Therapy Development Institute. And that in turn led to uh, patients like me, which was initially a website for people with ALS to share their experiences and basically their experiments on themselves, uh, if, if you want to think about it in those terms. 
And gradually that expanded into other diseases like multiple sclerosis and Parkinson's disease. And now you can go to patients like me to manage any disease. Uh, but the, the basic premise of it is it's a place where patients can get social support today mm. for just what they're going through. Uh, and they can also share and learn from the experiences of other patients. So the idea is that a lot of people have tried a lot of things uh, and you as a patient can go and learn from what has or hasn't worked from other people. And, you know, we actually have, have found that uh, you can demonstrate better self-efficacy among patients who are using patients like me. What that means is they're much better at getting good care with their doctors and taking care of themselves than they were before they started patients like me. Ah. Mm. <laughs> and I guess that connects with how people actually change behavior in, in essence is they connect with peers and they want to be more like peers and they understand, well, peers understand them more as well, I guess. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm uh, I was actually at the doctor's just before uh, this interview and I, uh, I have uh, a heart disease, a heart condition, but it, it's not, it's not serious in any so don't, sense. Don't but scare the listeners, Pat. You yeah, sense I have a heart condition. So <laughs> the aorta has, instead of two flaps, it ha instead of three flaps, it has two. Uh, it's not entirely uncommon, but, I, I realized that at once I go online and I try to search and find if other people have had this and how they've uh, related to it and how what how they've coped with it and stuff like that and so it, it really you really are looking for people to connect with at once <laughs> when you have a health condition I guess and also the other risk, other risk of that pair as well is that the internet has the answer to everything even mm. if the answer that they give is wrong so when you're searching for those kind of things there's there's so much the signal to noise ratio is is really difficult to deal yeah. with. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. And, you know, patients like me, because it's a, a patient community and it's not a bunch of um, curated content like you might find on the Mayo Clinic or, or a National Health Service website of some kind, um, you know, the, the level of quality of what's there for you sort of depends on the disease. So, for example, there are some 30,000 people with multiple sclerosis using the website. Um, mm. The condition that, that you've just described, uh, I would bet there probably are not very many. So, uh, you know, it sort of relies on people mm. uh, achieving some critical mass there and starting to develop enough right. data that it statistically means mm. something. So, so I also I'm working with health services right now. And one of my problems with, well, well I do journey mapping and I do take an interest in, well, it's uh, we're building a platform for basically giving behavioral therapy over the internet, mm. and so we're trying also to uh, scan. Well, how do the doctors talk to them? What type of material do they get from the doctors at the clinic before they actually get into into working with the system? But I don't have the mandate to actually change something there. I only have I only can work with the website. So when doing this journey map, I'm actually trying to find out well what are the other touch points? What's happening there? I'm, I'm guessing there are lots of problems there. But how do how would I start thinking about approaching those different areas from a website perspective, and and tell them that you need to change this and that for this to work for the patient, so that they're more prepared when they approach the website? Well, you know, I think that in service design, often in website design, sometimes in product design, we we run into the problem where we have a mandate that's viewed kind of narrowly. Right, we're we're being asked to fix a product or a website when really the problem is so much bigger, um, and I think we have uh, a lot of tools to share with people on the teams that may be responsible for those other areas. But mm. obviously, we have to tread very carefully there because uh, you know we we may not be welcome. Um, 
you know, in my experience, the the thing to do is to share what you're hearing with members of those other teams and invite them along. Because if you can bring them into your user research and into the journey mapping process, then the results feel like theirs and not an accusation from uh, from outside so much. Um, yeah. You know, I, and I think that in essence, having users deliver the bad news is always much easier than you trying to deliver the bad news as as their proxy because people do shoot the messenger. Um, mm, yeah. Mm. <laughs> I tend to record interviews and I always ask if I can use that. It's perfect. Absolutely. And, you know, recorded interviews are great because you can at least play back what you're hearing. Uh, but I think it's even more powerful if people go along with you in person. So, exactly. you know, one, one yeah. of the things yeah. that we do with patients like me is invite the whole team along. Uh, and so, you know, in any time we're going and doing some user ethnographies, we try to get one or two people from different parts of the company to join us and uh, and really just sit down with the patients. And almost the whole executive team has gone along. I, I'm still working on one or two. And, um, you know, folks from the engineering team and the uh the clinicians, everybody gets excited about those. Wow. <laughs> I got some, some great ideas now. No, <laughs> I, was just, be uh, I was just thinking that they, I think all of us have, have, have been have done that when we've taken the um, people outside of our area um, into these interview sessions or usability testing or whatever it is. And, and I think it's, it's a case that we, it's never not been a good thing. I can't, I can't think of any single time when I've not brought someone along and they haven't come out going, Oh my God! Oh wow! Oh God! Is that what they do? Is that what they're thinking? Uh, it's um, it's, it's always a, a winning idea. I think that. Yeah, it it really is, and I think particularly, um, I don't know if you were at at uh, Business Buttons last year, but I talked about the the way that you work in different organizational cultures, mm. uh, and there's there's an organizational culture uh, called the clan, which is very um, very group oriented, very collaborative, and and you almost have to involve everyone to get anything done. Uh, and and uh, in the workshop that I did last year, a lot of people were saying, oh, you've been to Scandinavia, have That's you? That's it. It sounds very Swedish. <laughs> uh, so I, I gather this is a popular way of working uh, in Sweden. But uh, I think that bringing people along on research, on journey mapping, is, is especially powerful in cultures like that because it it says it's not just the user experience team who's uh, who's pushing these new ideas? It's all of us seeing the problems together, and and all of mm. us pushing this uh, this solution forward. Yeah, we do have uh, we do have very flat organisations, um, especially here in in um, in Sweden. Um, it's it's very flat. So inclusion um, is is really important for for buy in and making projects um, succeed. Compared to like UK and um, American um, cultures, where um, hierarchical inclusion is. Is um is more important at times. And we also have a tendency to never come to a conclusion. We never make a decision. <laughs> we just bring people along to meetings, I guess. Well, yeah, I, I think the key uh to, to using journey maps successfully is that they do encourage conclusions. Um they they at least can encourage conclusions about the problem, which gives you a good basis to come to a conclusion about the solution. Mm. Yes. I caught some quotes from some of your slide share uh, slides, <laughs> and uh, one that I particularly stood out for me was UX pros as whiteboard ninjas minimize discussion of process. Mm -hmm. uh, do you remember that one? <laughs> I do, I do. Um, yeah. I, and actually, that, uh, that was one of the points that I made in my talk at Business Buttons last year, which is 
in a culture that's very uh, adhocracy is the term. Uh, and by the way, these, these are not my terms. This is Cameron and Quinn's uh, competing values framework that, that those terms come from. Um, in an adhocracy, think like a typical startup culture, right, where people are kind of allergic to process, roles are maybe not well defined, you kind of reinvent the way you do things on every single project. Um, people are sort of allergic to this word process. If you start talking about process, they say, oh, that's too corporate, uh, that, that sounds so heavy for us, that sounds not agile or not lean or, or you know, whatever the buzzword is they want to throw around. Um, and so if you say, oh, here's a big map of our user experience process that we're going to follow, that's going to get rejected. Instead, uh, you know, you want to focus on quickly sketching ideas on the whiteboard, giving people things to react to, and also use principles rather more so than process. So rather than saying, here's our UX process, say, hey, one of our principles is talk to users first. And just frame it a little bit differently, and it tends to get accepted more. Yeah, it's, you, you put it into a more, um, more neutral language, I guess, in that sense, instead of being kind of industry speak, where we kind of, oh, UX principles or UX, something like this. You can frame it in a way which is um, easier for the, the, the everyman to understand. Yeah, and, and I think, you know, if it's, just, if it's not a UX principle, it's just, hey, here's how we build products and services. Mm. We as a company, we as a, an organization, we talk to users first. Um, yeah. You know, or, or other things like that. You know, sketch first, details later is, is another good example of how you can turn something from a process into a principle and have that just be more digestible. One thing I, I wanted to ask about, because I get a lot of questions uh, from people who want to get into the area of UX. And in a sense, there's, people think of UX designers and they think of interaction designers, but they don't, don't think, where, where, does, where does the profession lead? And uh, I don't even think that, well, I haven't heard of anyone in Sweden that really has the role of VP of user experience. So tell us a bit about what does that role actually encompass? How, how, how big of a team do you have and what do you mm -hmm. do on a day-to-day -day basis? Uh, well, the team at Patients Like Me is actually much smaller than I'm, I'm used to because uh, it's, a, it's a small organization. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think... It, the the VPs of user experience, or or even occasionally the chief experience officer title, is increasingly common in the U.S. at least, and it's um, you know it could be somebody in a small company with a team of just a handful of people. It it could be a larger company with hundreds of people uh, on on the user experience team. But I think regardless of the size of the organization, the the title really tends to be aimed at. Um, you know, ensuring that, that good design is happening on individual projects, but more importantly, that design is getting instituted into the culture and, and the processes of the organization so that uh, it really becomes part of the fabric of the organization. Mm. And, um, you know, for example, at, at Patients Like Me, one of the things everybody in the whole company talks about is, oh, we're, we're going to try to expand on this community. The first thing we do is we go talk to users, and everybody in the company says that now. Uh, and it's just kind of taken as a given. And that's a shift from where the company was a few years ago. You know, so that's, um, that's a good thing. Not, not that patients like me hasn't always been patient-centric, but I think it's, um, it's hard for people with a lot of different backgrounds to know how do you actually institutionalize patient-centricity. And I think UX brings those tools. So 
you know, everybody I know who's in a similar position is really focused on culture and and the way that the teams work together, uh, and not just on what's happening in the user experience mm. team. Yeah, there's no there's no real shortcuts to 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 creating a culture inside an organization or a team. I mean, that just that just takes time um, and, and persistence. Um, so mm. I'm not surprised it took a few years before it really kind of becomes um, the you know the, the automatic response, even though the the grounds of it was always been there. Yeah, and and I think generally, you know, that's one of the key things to keep in mind about culture change is it's easy to get impatient and frustrated, but culture change is at least a three to five year proposition, assuming that you've got strong executive sponsorship. And if you don't, it's going to take you longer because you have to, you have to build up enough momentum to get the executive mandate and it takes patience. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's, um, that's a question I've received a few, a few times this time. Well, how do we get, how do we build UX, how do we get UX adopted inside organizations? And, and I've, I've said to people, well, you know, you, you yourself as a UX, you've got to, you've got to sit down and make a, a choice. Do you want to dedicate now um, X number of years of your career um, into cultural change inside an organization mm. to make it happen? Or do you want to actually do stuff? <laughs> and if, <laughs> if you want to continue being a doer and producing stuff, mm. then you probably should change job. Because this is not where you're going to be. Um, they're both good choices, but you need to decide which one of the two you're going to go with. Yeah, I think that's good advice. I, I think it's absolutely true. Um, you know, if, if you really just like to make things, then you want to go someplace where uh, the culture is not such an uphill battle. And uh, but if I, I think you have an opportunity to make a larger difference if you go to a place that maybe isn't quite so UX savvy yet. Uh, and really help them shift because you'll affect a lot more people that way than you will by making things in an individual product work very well. Yeah, it's it's a, yeah, it's the, it's like stocks and shares. You know, they buy the risky stock and you make more money at the end. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. It's true. And and you know, it takes a lot of energy, I think, to make change in an organization. Um, yeah. And I don't think it's for everyone, and that's okay. Mm. But. Uh, uh, and if you do choose that route where you're trying to make change in, a, in an organization, I think to stay sane, you have to find an outlet where you do get to just make things. And, you know, even if it's little side projects where, uh, uh, you know, you're drawing or designing or, or whatever it is that that makes your heart go pitter-patter, you're, mm, uh, right. you're doing that in addition to the hard change work. Because, mm. you, you know, I, I don't know about you guys, but every designer I have ever worked with, myself included, um, take satisfaction in concrete artifacts. And I think when you're doing design leadership work, that's not really the outcome, right? The outcome is you changed somebody's mind today uh, or you made them think today. Uh, so I have to find times to, um, to make things. Yeah, yeah. I think that's a good that's good advice. I mean, it's something I self, myself have done. Actually, it's, it's over the years I've I've, been, I've known Per now. I've tried to sketch more and more again because it's something I've always done. But in in more recent years, I just didn't use it so much. But then now, this last two or three years, I've I've really taken to doodling and sketching, and and that's um, irrespective of which project I'm involved in and which role mm. I've got in that project. And and it's amazing now. Almost every single time, I do find a use for it, and um, and it is always it goes it goes down really well when people see the kind of little little thing you've 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 sketched out, and they go, "Oh, mm. what have you done there?" So it becomes a it's a conversation starter, if nothing else. Mm. Um, yeah, that too, that too, as well as a relief to to do it. I um I had another question that was wondering going back to journey mapping. Um, can you have you got an example or a, um, or a suggestion of maybe when journey mapping isn't a good idea? Well, I, 
I don't know that I would do journey mapping if if I were doing a uh, an experience that literally were just a single transaction, ultra simple, use it once kind of a thing. Uh, you know, I, I think if a, a project is super small scope and it's not related to a bunch of other pieces, journey mapping may not be the best use of your time. Mm. But on anything that's large and complex or that crosses platforms or, um, you know, bridges analog and digital experience, I've yet to find a project where journey mapping wasn't helpful. I think I, I, I think I remember you uh, from UXLX. There was uh, multi-channel, multi-platform. I, I think in 2012 when we were there, there was a lot of talk in multi-channel, multi-platform, and and um, yeah. I can really see that journey mapping there is um, is a really valuable tool. Yeah, I think if you're not multi-channel and multi-platform, I, I mean, if you're if you are multi-channel, multi-platform, and you're not doing journey mapping, I think you're probably missing some opportunities. You know, um, yes. one of the the biggest issues that I see in services is as a consumer of the service, you can tell what the org chart is. You can tell how that company is organized just based on the experience that you have because you can see where the gaps in that experience are. Mm -hmm. You can see where the handoff from one team or one piece of software to another happens because uh, it's usually a painful point. And journey mapping helps you find those and, and smooth them over. It is a fantastic tool. Uh, and really recommend anyone to attend your workshop. And uh, speaking of making things, you have hinted that you're writing on a second book. Uh, although, how can that be? Because the, your first book has been uh, uh, seen as the complete handbook for an entire profession. So, <laughs> <laughs> so what, what what's next to write? <laughs> well, uh, it's going slowly. Mm. I, I have been sort of torn about mm. whether to... Uh, to do a separate user experience leadership book or whether to, uh, to incorporate more of that into a second edition of my, my other book. So I'm not sure. Um, I have a bunch of material underway. I just have to, have to pick a direction and, and make it so. Do, if, if me and Per get to decide, then, then I go for um, the separate UX leadership book. Okay. Why is that? Um, because I think it's an area that's um, growing in importance, growing in understanding, and has um, a real genuine need um, for dedicated information mm-hmm. and education. Yeah, I, I do think it's getting a lot of attention. You know, now that there are UX teams to lead, the, the need is becoming more clear. I think a number of years ago we were fighting just to get the teams, and mm. uh, and now that we have have them, we have to figure out how to how to make the best use of them and make them sustainable and scalable and all of those things. And as the U.S. is ahead of the game, or at least ahead of Europe in many aspects when it comes to this, then um, I can see the kind of you know, two to, to three-year plan for workshops and talks and book selling and, and touring around. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess I'll have to write it so that I can spend more time with you all in Europe. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, and that you can come back again on the um, mm. on the podcast and mm. talk to us about UX leadership. There we go. Mm. I'd be happy to. Right, we're running out of time. We promised we'd let you go now. Um, so if you don't have any more questions, James, we're actually not in the same room, so <laughs> we can't do our hand signals that we usually do. <laughs> we've we've been writing actually notes to each other to to help each other out just now. <laughs> yeah, behind the scenes, you see. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, thank you guys for your time this morning and for inviting me to chat with you. Well, thank you. And if people want to look you up, you're you're Kim Goodwin on Twitter. Mm -hmm. And your book is Designing for the Digital Age. And uh, we look forward to seeing you on the 21st at Business to Buttons. 
I'll see you then. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks so much for being our guest. Okay, so I think we were all over the place with Kim. Uh, <laughs> I, I, there were so many questions I wanted to ask her, and uh, we had that time slot of 30 minutes. Uh, I'm glad we're meeting her again because there, there's some more stuff I want to talk to her about. And it's, it's fun that she's going to do journey mapping as well. It's one of my favorite tools. Yeah, do, do you know, I actually, I actually didn't expect it to say journey mapping was what because we, we didn't really know exactly no, we what didn't we talked about what, today. Yeah, exactly. Because um, <laughs> the thing is that with, with Kim, it's a safe card to play. I mean, we, mm. we, we know she's, she's talented, she's good, she's got a mm. lot of great things to say. Mm. So I wasn't at all worried that we hadn't exactly pinned down what we're going to talk about. Um, so I think it was really good that um, she talked about journey mapping because that was you know, the, the, the topic that we heard her talk about um, three years ago. Yes. Um, the first, first time I saw her in person. Mm. Um, so that was really good. Um, connect us back to that. Um, and yeah, so it probably did mean that we were a little, we wandered a little bit um, during the interview. But I, I actually think we we had some really good answers from her. I, uh, I've, um, I'm thinking again about journey mapping. I mean, yeah, if you're doing service design, I, I asked the question about is there a situation where you wouldn't use it, and Kim mm. gave us some suggestion there. But, but effectively, in her answer, she said, well, if you're doing service service design, yeah, it's pretty much something you've got to do. Yeah. And if you're not doing it, you're missing out, and you're probably miss- mm. missing stuff that could make you more competitive. Yeah, I mean, admittedly, if you're doing it, if you're doing, um, you know, just a website, and it's maybe transactional. It's, it's, um, you know, there you instead of doing the journey mapping, maybe you're going to be doing something more like the um, making your, your the, the purchase funnel or the or, or some kind of the transaction side of it. You need to detail, mm. which is a little bit different to doing a journey map, but still crucial to understand. Mm. Um, for your for your work, yeah. And she also gave that answer where you actually have to involve people to get them to, well, to get buy-in, and also if you want to affect them in any way and make sure that they actually listen to what you have to say, not try to convince them, but actually invite them to take part in the user research. My my solution to that is like I was hinting that I, I would record the interviews and I would bring them in and, and people would talk about the interviews with me and that hear pe- real people talking, which is really good. But effectively, I think what Kim is saying, actually inviting people beforehand and inviting them to take part in the interviews is even better. I too seldom get the chance to do that, I think. Uh, we, d- we didn't ask her about this, but it, 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 would, it is more complicated to arrange. Hmm. Um, it feels like anyway. Um, it's... it's um it's an added it's an added person to the to the schedule to try and you know fit into everything and to plan and to have right. review and, mm. and and to coach and to to work out a little bit well you know what we're going to do during this interview you know what's your role mm. um, so but I can understand the benefits absolutely exactly I've had like uh, junior UX designers listening in with inter- interviews with me and that's been excellent because they've been able to provide feedback to my interview techniques as well so I mean that's even an, even more of a benefit as well if you, if mm. you invite people is that you, they can ask you about why did you ask that question? Uh, why did you interrupt them, which you're never supposed to do? Stuff yeah. like that. I mean, also, yeah. I've, I've, done, I've done several interviews where I've had, um, well, there's been two of us, of course, doing the interviewing, but where um, this is often if I've done any interviews in Swedish, mm. then I've, I've liked to have someone who's much better than me at making notes in Swedish with me. Mm. Because then they've got time to to reflect and to absorb it in a different way to to me, who's who's basically concentrating on the the the, the dialogue in, in between the, me and the, the person I'm interviewing, rather than making notes. Yeah, 
No. I mean, that probably is the same thing no matter which language you're doing. Yeah, having having a buddy with you to to exactly. help facilitate yeah. note take. I mean, I mean, even pair design is. I, I yeah. the, the times I've done that, it's been fantastic. You do design work in two hours that would otherwise perhaps take you a full day. Mm. Uh, it, it's hard to explain, but <laughs> it really works. Mm. And I, I'd really love to hear more about uh, our listeners' experience from journey mapping and what, what I mean, because journey maps are fun because the output from journey maps can look hugely different depending on the organization you're working with and what type of designer you are and how, <laughs> how creative you are. Uh, and as if by design, we actually have a listener phone-in coming up our next show. Uh, we'll we'll be inviting people to call in and, and talk to us, and it would it'd be great to hear some stories there, uh, just telling us more about journey map. Well, not only well, you'll be able to call us in and ask us questions as well, but yeah, that would be fun. And I want to know, I want to know more about people's experience with um, pairing up. Yes, uh, in the in the context of UX and the work. <laughs> just, yeah, just or just any pairing right. up. I mean, just no, as long I, as I, people I, call no. it in. No, we, I mean, oh God, we, we always learn something. I'm going to be having to edit the show. <laughs> <laughs> so and and um, yep. If you w- don't want to miss out um, on the listener phone incoming up, uh, the best way to find out about exactly when that's going to be is to sign up for our backstage mailing list, which you can do at um, uxpodcast.com. Yeah, and we'll, we'll send something out early next week to that mailing list. Yes. Wow. I think we're uh, about done there. Actually. I am. I'm ho- <laughs> I'm hungry. (laughs) It's just me saying, remember to keep moving. And see you on the other side.